Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy Frisch and I've got Laura Pierce joining me today. Now, Laura's got a really cool job. She is the head of marketing for Twitter here in Canada. That is quite the brand to have to hold on a day-to-day basis. And Laura and I got to talk a little bit about the pressure and the excitement of working for a brand like that and riding the waves, whether they're good or bad and figuring out how to make demand come and follow from that. So today we're, we're gonna unpack a couple of things. First, we look at how Laura's career has evolved and she's always had this play in media companies that are trying to evolve themselves and it gives her that opportunity to pave the way for her career now to a point where she's reporting more or less one step away from the CMO of Twitter as a whole, which is pretty exciting when you think about you know that responsibility. The other area that we talk a lot about is just the different ways to use Twitter and how to leverage Twitter. And we hit on a couple of really interesting points today. Um, you know, one was this idea of, you know, when you think of the different uses of a channel like Twitter, we're using Twitter for things like, you know, ge- generating acquisition, generating pipeline, amplifying our brand, what we stand for from a CSR perspective, responding to customer complaints. And the question there becomes, well then whose responsibility is Twitter? Like who in marketing or outside of marketing needs to preside over this when very often we end up thinking about social media marketers who are often more junior, are we empowering them enough? And are we really taking the approach on Twitter to join the conversation? You know, her and I ended up talking for quite a few more minutes after the reporting and and something really, you know, thoughtful that she dropped on me at the end is this idea when we're on a channel like Twitter, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about whatever this is that's important. Whereas many brands get onto social and they just try and talk about themselves. And I think that's something as you listen to this today, you should challenge and take a look at some of your own posts to say, are we joining the conversation? Are we trying to just steer people into our own channel that has nothing to do with what's going on in the world? Without further ado, here we go, Laura Pierce. Laura, thanks so much for making time to talk to us about your career, your journey. Today, you're head of marketing Canada at Twitter, an amazing brand. Tell us a little bit about how you landed in this role. Oh, well, it's it, thanks thanks for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, it's kind of a fun story. Um, you know, you, you may know I've worked for a, a number of tech companies, including AOL, when they were acquiring Huffington Post and really sort of changing their model. I worked for Blue Ant Media. Um, a very progressive uh, digital company in Canada, and sort of some of that experience propelled me into to Twitter, uh, which is I've been here just um, coming up on my fourth anniversary, which in Twitter years I'm sure is at least ten. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've spent all, almost all of my career in digital marketing, sometimes for more traditional companies, and sometimes for pure plays like AOL and Twitter. So um, it's a really exciting job. I always say it's the most fun job I've ever had. Um, and, and that's very true. It's just lots of what we call VIT meetings. So very important tweeters and uh, other sort of 
sort of perks of working for a company like Twitter. That's very cool. And, and I know you told me ahead of time that you oversee both the B2B and the B2C side of marketing. B2B would be getting advertisers, correct? Yes. So helping brands um, leverage Twitter to, to drive, uh, you know, loyalty and customers to their brands, but then also getting consumers more aware of Twitter and helping them to understand why Twitter is relevant in their lives. When you look back on your career, which I've done on LinkedIn, other people can look you up, Laura Pierce, P-E-A-R-C-E, as they're listening to this. And you, there's a lot of companies that you've been with that have probably been trying to reinvent media. You know, Twitter, I, I think we kind of assume, you know, assume has already done that at this stage. Yeah. But AOL, I mean, at, at a time, they were very forward thinking. What has it been like to be with these companies as they're going through those changes? Yeah, it's been a really interesting journey. You probably see that I, uh, one of the big chunks of time in my career, I spent working at Cam West, which is now Post Media and Shaw was, uh, you know, Canada's largest media company at the time. And a big part, or my my job there was really to help move them into a more digital world. So when I first joined, I actually looked after their automotive segment, getting them um, up and running with an automotive website and transacting and really moving the newspaper business online, which seems like a strange thing to say now. But at the time, you know, we were still, you know, making all of our money on classified ads in the newspaper. And there was a huge transition to digital that had to happen. Um, and I happened to be doing that for automotive because way back when I also worked for Auto Trader. So uh, sort of a long winding career. And then moving into pure play companies like AOL and Twitter, you know, for AOL, it was sort of interesting because there was a time when AOL really needed to reinvent who they were. Everybody heard the dial-up tone in their head when you said their name and, and they okay. needed to really reinvent themselves. So it was an exciting time to work for AOL because they purchased the Huffington Post when I was there. They became, you know, a real content powerhouse and also, um, a, you know, an ad tech powerhouse. So a big transition for that brand. So even though they were already a digital pure play, they were still making a pretty significant tr um, transition in terms of the type of business they were in. And then Twitter you know, is sort of, it's very of the moment, as everybody knows, and it's super exciting. Um, but it also can be, you know, a bit overwhelming from time to time. I always joke the Forrest Gump, you know, when you open Twitter, it's like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. Right. <laughs> so, so there are days when we think we're launching one thing, and you open Twitter, and you're doing a different thing. Um, but it's definitely always keeps you on your toes. It's super exciting. Um, I've become the person that all my friends ask, you know, when do the Leafs play their first home game or when the raps tip off or what's happening with the Oscars or whatever, because I'm on Twitter all the time. <laughs> That's so funny. So I, I'm curious, as you've made these decisions in your career to, to stick with these companies, as you said, that are reinventing themselves, reinventing media. How has that given you the opportunity to rise in your own career? You know, by taking that track of companies reinventing themselves, how did you marry the two? Yeah, I think one of the things that's sort of interesting if we go way back, I always joke when I do speaking engagements, like, you know, the pop quiz, how many people think I have an MBA? And of course, all the hands go up. And then I say, well, I actually have a master's degree in French literature, which is definitely how you get a job in tech. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it's sort of been this reinvention. And, and I think one of the things I always take away is that your ability to learn on the fly and be agile and, and adapt to change, especially in a role like Twitter, but throughout my career, I was brought on to AutoTrader to help them build out e-commerce. And so in all of the times that I've gotten these jobs, there's been a, 
a big change that the company has wanted to undertake. And that's often pushed me really well beyond my own comfort level in terms of where I was, you know, in the job before and what, what the expectations were coming into the next job. So I think going back to university in a weird way to say, like, I know how to learn, I know how to take in a lot of information and sort of make good decisions and just keeping that top of mind. And, and I think a little bit of just having the confidence, that, you know, when you're in tech, everything is always new. And I think over time, you get better at that. I think that early days, it was very intimidating. And and now I think we're, you know, having lived in it a long time, I'm very comfortable with change. And when you think about what's happened with COVID and all of the changes we've undergone in sort of our lives, you know, Twitter as a company and as a platform, we've weathered that very well. But I think it's this sort of constant change that is in every day of your of how you're running things you get better at just going with the flow and moving and, and switching and so it's been a big sort of learning for me when I graduated from my master's I went and lived in France for two years and worked for university oh, wow. there and I'd never been outside of Canada other than in a car to the U.S. and I'd only been on a plane once to Vancouver and I rolled up in Paris with like everything I owned which was a devastating mistake by the way everything I owned was not cool enough for Paris and I immediately got rid of it <laughs> but but you know just like I'm really thrown into a very different environment and I think to the extent that people can do that in their career and take the risk to be in a totally uncomfortable environment is is a really great learning experience. I love that that advice, and I'm I'm curious to dig a little deeper on that. When when you talk about change, we think culture, and if you look at some of the companies you've been with over the, over the years, be it AOL or Post Media, for those in the U.S., think a big media company creating content. You know, some of those businesses now could almost be be viewed as companies that didn't change fast enough. They were changing in the moment, but then something came and replaced them. That something can even be yeah. Twitter. Yep. Yep. What are you doing with your team or what lessons have you learned to ensure that, you know, whether it's Twitter or wherever you are, you're creating a culture to embrace the pace of change we need today? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think part of it is like a real fail forward attitude. So I, I do think, and, you know, not to put anybody on the spot, but I do think in some cases in those companies that didn't maybe change fast enough, there was a need to sort of have it be perfect before you made the change or have it to be the perfect moment. And, you know, I think we've all figured out that that will never come. And that, you know, we were doing all these, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. I have a joke, I have a marketing joke, but, or I have a, I don't know if you've seen that trend. You know, I, my, I wanted, my joke was I have a marketing joke, but I have to prove it works first. <laughs> so, so I think this sort of getting away from, it has to be proven before you can go do it. A lot of the things we talk to brands about when they're working with Twitter is getting more comfortable with um, sort of a more fluid conversation with your your customers, getting more comfortable with, you know, an acceptable amount of risk, understanding that, you know, a tweet doesn't have a long shelf life. And if, you know, you get a few negatives, you got to move on. Um, so I think that feel forward and to say, we're going to try this. If it doesn't work, we're going to pivot. We'll try something else. But there's not this blame game or this sort of, you did it wrong is something that we really have to sort of get away from. And I think we do a really good job of that at Twitter because it's the one place that you get absolutely instant feedback on what you do. You know, brands have to prepare themselves for that. Twitter has to prepare themselves for that. But you also have to be willing to, to sort of deal with some of that and to 
maybe that person's got a point and maybe you could use it for something in the future or maybe they don't and you move on. So I think just being open. I think today we have to be so much more open to advertising being a conversation and not being sort of a broadcast. And I, I think probably in the older environments, it just that was hard. That was a hard switch. And that understanding that some small startup could come around and do it all better. Absolutely. Really fast. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I think of traditional media and I think of the ads having certain spots on a page, right? Like, you know, yeah. the headline banner off to the right hand side. You know, even in newspapers, we knew where to find ads. Yeah. And as you put it with something like Twitter, the best ads are the ones that you don't even realize are an ad anymore. Right. They, right. They flow, they're in line, they feel as relevant as the content that may be recommended to you, you know, by who you follow. Yeah. And I think in the, also the thing was, is that, and we saw this a lot in the auto business is that people knew an ad ran because they could clip it out of the newspaper. They could like take a screenshot of it. And, and that has changed significantly. So how we measure marketing success is less about accomplished like checkbox and more about conversation and impact. And so that's changing people's attitudes, but it, it is a very old media construct that like I saw it. And so it, it was a thing. And, and and I think that still exists a little bit with TV. Like, there's nothing more exciting than being the person on the marketing side when you see your TV commercial. It's a bit ridiculous, but there is something about that that gets people focused on television. Absolutely. All right. Well, Laura, we're we're already uh, you know treading into the space of the buyer journey. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back and we'll continue to talk about how you're charting those paths for two different sets of buyers, I guess, at times, B2C and B2B, as we've talked about, right back here on The Marketer's Journey. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. One of the things Laura and I dug into is this idea of failing fast and freeing your team to be able to make decisions in the moment in the fly that allow you to take advantage of what's happening around you. Now, I'm reading a really interesting book right now. I can't put it down. It's called Ride of a Lifetime. It's a book by Bob Iger, who spent 15 years as the CEO of Disney. And it's one of the ideas that he talks about in the book as well, is the importance of freeing your team from bureaucracy, freeing your team from the need for other people to make those decisions for them. And as he put it, for many years, that's what held Disney back versus bringing in the right culture to empower our team to make decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. And think about it. Think about just what's happened in the last number of months amid COVID. If we have too many strict restrictions inside of our organization that hold us back from taking advantage of what's happening in the moment, then we miss that. We miss that opportunity. We miss the opportunity to break out and be part of that conversation. In the intro of, of today's podcast, I told you, Laura said to me herself, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about what's happening in the world and how we relate to that 
versus always trying to talk about us, which when we take the approach of trying to be so corporate sometimes, we may lose track of. All right, we are back here on the marketer's journey with Laura Pierce, head of marketing at Twitter Canada. Now, when it comes to marketing on Twitter for any company, because it's one of the channels we all think about, I think a lot of marketers get pushed back and they hear things like, well, Twitter's really just a brand play. We're not going to actually generate any pipeline, generate any leads, depending on how we're thinking about you know, going after our market on Twitter. Where, where do you feel as the head of marketing on that? Yeah, well, I'm obviously I'm a little biased, but <laughs> but um, I think, so I think we do think that Twitter is a really a very powerful platform for brand building because it does give you that opportunity to have a conversation, a real um, real-time conversation with your customer base and understand how they feel about all the types of things that you're talking about, whether, and, and one of the things we recommend is that people don't just tweet about a new product. They don't tweet everything that's transactional that we do encourage you to think about your brand as a personality and what kinds of things would you, would you talk about if you were an actual person? And, and because we think that this sort of broadcast out and not conversation in isn't a great way to build brands in sort of today's world. But we think that then that brand building really sets the conditions underneath for conversion. Because what we do know is that, and we've done a lot of studies on this, is that 84% of Canadians on Twitter think that brands should communicate what they're doing to support causes or to drive purpose or to sort of what are their values. And so when you use Twitter for that, then people are more positively aligned to your brand. And then when they see you either on Twitter or in other areas, they're more willing to give you that conversion that you're looking for. And we, we do often advise that we think it is short-sighted to be overly focused on conversion and ignore the brand building side of, of what's important in terms of real-time conversation. So that's great advice. And it, it kind of makes me think about what am I going to use Twitter for out of the gate? And in a way, do I need more than one Twitter channel or one Twitter voice? Uh, because as you say that, a lot of what you may be talking about is more like CSR-related branding so, you know, what are we doing from a corporate responsibility perspective, which amid everything that's been going on in the world in the last number of months, I mean, there's, there's a lot to do on that front. But then at the same time, you've got companies that are trying to, as you said, attract new business or retain customers from a customer service perspective. Is the suggestion for people to have multiple Twitter channels and Twitter handles for that? Or how do you use one voice for multiple business functions? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think what we do advise is that um, you are actively doing customer service on Twitter, but we do provide a number of tools. You can have always like a DM um, option, a button that goes at the bottom of your tweets so that let's say you're trying to have a broader, bigger conversation. And then someone says, you know, if you're a telecom company, like, hey, that's nice, but my phone isn't working. Why can't you fix that? Because that is something that happens. Then you I can, did that this morning, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you can respond to that customer directly and say, we're sorry you're having a problem. DM us using the button below. And then you can take that conversation private. We also suggest that you, you indicate in your bio even sort of what hours or times you're willing to do customer service. So you set expectations up out of the gate in terms of how people get in touch with you. Or in the case of Twitter, we always tell people if you have a challenge, you should go to support.twitter.com. So we encourage 
brands to be clear about how people should get customer service from you. So I don't, we don't necessarily think you should have multiple handles because building a following across different handles is challenging. Absolutely. It depends if you're a really large company, like a big newspaper company that has multiple brands underneath it, you would obviously do that. But we encourage you to sort of to, to be proactive and be responsive to customer service inquiries, but try to move them into a private channel where you can, where it makes, where it's more relevant. Or sometimes we say, you know, if you say you launch a new interface for a product that and people often respond in ways like, I don't like this. Why did you change that button? Where is it? You know, if, if you know that a big group of your customers is having that problem, then do a proactive tweet or quote tweet one of the questions and be open about the answer so that you can communicate that more broadly than just that one person. So sometimes you use one person's feedback to more broadly communicate to your entire customer base. So you bring up a, a really next question that, that I'm debating here, even on my own team, which is who should own some of our Twitter channels, Twitter handle? You know, I mean, generally, I think a lot of us say to ourselves, what's well, my social media manager, whatever title that might be, which sometimes is a very junior employee yeah. Uh, yeah. who doesn't necessarily have the authority inside of an organization as of yet. But as you describe everything you did, I mean, that person sounds like a quarterback to your customer service team, to your C-level, even to a degree in terms of what do we, you know, what is our stance right now? How is that either shifting the role of the social media manager or introducing a new owner of of those handles? Yeah, it's a really great question because, you you know, this is something that companies grapple with and that person that the social media manager, they're really on the front lines. They're, you know, the tip of the spear, as we like to say, to your customers. So I think, they own it in terms of they're the person, you know, typing out the tweets or the posts, but it really should be a cross-functional effort, likely with marketing, obviously, as you're launching campaigns or having ongoing conversations. So if you look at a handle like No Name Foods has done a really great job of sort of having a, a personality, but also telling you what their products are. And so you can see the marketing piece in there, but also the customer service side and then also PR should have a voice in that how you're communicating on that handle and as you say also encouraging engagement with c c level so we we would like all ceos and cmos to be on twitter and then for them to have some back and forth with their own handles to to sort of reinforce that you know what the brand is saying is also supported at the top level from values and of, of the people that are that are running it so um, shopify does a really great job of that with toby and so there are some companies that are really ones to watch in terms of how you connect the values of the founder or the, the CEO, CMO to the values of the company. That's interesting. I'm wondering, how does that guidance get given to the more senior individuals inside of organizations? Is that something that Twitter works closely with organizations to guide through? Or is that on that social media manager to figure out how to book 20 minutes in the, in the CMO or CEO's schedule? Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of Twitter onboarding sessions for CMOs and CEOs where they may be on Twitter, but maybe not leveraging it, or they may, you know, a lot in some cases they have accounts, but they're not as active as they could be. So we will provide that service, obviously, um, if, if that's requested and people are willing. But also, we, we also help them, we give them a lot of tools to kind of look at, we, we call it a launch and connect strategy. So we think you should either be launching telling people about new things that you have or that you're connecting with culture on Twitter. So we give people a lot of, of tools to understand like what's coming up. Like we've done a really big push right now around the return of live sports. And no matter what kind of brand you are, how are you connecting with this powerful moment in culture where 
we may see five and six different leagues playing on the same day. There's all this excitement. So we try to give the tools to the brands and the marketers to plan a little bit more around how you will you make connections that are meaningful for your brand around key cultural moments. Yeah, no, you, you bring up something that I think a lot of C-levels need to think more of when it comes to, you know, what is my brand going to be and my connection to the company? And I, yeah, I mean, you were kidding earlier about, you know, cursing out the telecom company when something's not working. And, and I'm not a public hater, typically. I'm more of a behind, behind closed doors uh, type of approach. And I worry sometimes if I take that public stage on a social platform, you know, what is that saying about myself as it pertains to my business? And I think these are important things for brands to realize is, is you know, our people make up our brands very often and, and are an extension of what we stand for. Yeah, that's so true. And it's not about trying to control what people say on their social media platforms or what they tweet, but it's about being clear maybe where, where your company values are and, and, and modeling that so that people take the cues. I mean, I think there's a ton, as you probably noted, of admiration around Twitter for Jack and how he stands up publicly. And I think that has a lot, he infuses a lot of that in the people that work at Twitter. And, and that's a great thing. Absolutely. Well, Laura, this, this has been great. We're going to get you to stick around for one more part. We want to understand how you balance your busy life, uh, especially even now mid-COVID. Everyone's working remotely. Traveling's different, but taking a break is important. We'll learn about that right after a short break here on Marketers. As Laura and I talked about this idea of talking about this, talking about what's happening around you versus talking about me or talking about our company, it reminded me of a little test I did once myself. Now, full disclosure, this wasn't on Twitter, it was on LinkedIn, but I took two pieces of content and I put a little bit of my own money, not that much, I think I took about $100 total, and I said, I wanna see which piece of content is gonna get more eyeballs if I put ad money behind them. Now, I put all the right tags and references behind this content, but one piece of content had to do with Uberflip and had to do with a cool partnership we had. Now, the partnership was with a very cool brand at the time, you know, one that was a lot bigger than us, and one that I thought would draw a lot of eyeballs in. The second piece of content was a little bit more of a thought leadership piece. It was around the idea of 10 CMOs who were kicking ass or something along those lines. Now, the reality of what ended up happening is I allowed it to put equal dollars to both, but I couldn't get enough traction, couldn't get, get enough eyeballs to the partnership post. Now, the reality is, is because all I was trying to do was talk about me. I was trying to talk about my company versus talking about things that are going to fly in and feel part of the conversation. Things that feel as relevant as that next piece of content that's being recommended. And that's something that we have to think about as marketers. As much as we want to get our messaging out there, the opportunity with a lot of these mediums like Twitter, like LinkedIn, like others in that space, the key is to be part of the conversation, to find our way in and then at the right time, link people through the right call to action to learn more about our company. All right, Laura, so we've broken down your career, the buyer journey. Now I'm curious, especially given Twitter, I mean, when we're on break, we're always on social. So how do you make a break and actually break from work? 
Yeah, it's a really great question. I mean, it is it is a challenge um, because a lot of the things, you know, I talked earlier about connecting to culture and a lot of those cultural moments happen after hours or over the weekends. Like, And so um, I think one of the things that I try to do, I have two um, youngish kids, 10 and 12, and I, I do make a point of being super communicative about like, hey, tonight I'm on, I'm going to be on my phone a lot. It is work. Um, you know, and so I, I try to just be open and honest about it because there are times when I can't just say, Nope, sorry, I'm not checking my phone. Um, that's just not how it works. But then when I know that there isn't something, then I make a more conscious effort, you know, try to do small things like making sure I'm not, my phone isn't right beside me at mealtime or, you know, just having those moments where you, you, you physically put it away and say that Absolutely. it's going to be away. Um, and then I was, you know, laughing because you said, you know, in this time of COVID, and they said, other than I went down to my basement to tell my son, I'm going to be recorded right now. Don't make any weird noises. <laughs> and I told my daughter not to come down to the kitchen and make any like wild concoctions. So I think it's all like an adjustment now. Of, like It's a whole new setting expectations around what can happen in the shared spaces that we're all inhabiting. So that's always good for a little bit of frustration, but usually some laughs as well. Absolutely. My kid said to me recently, did you work this much when you were at the office? <laughs> like, yeah. see it. And I'm just like, I don't know, maybe more. I'm not sure of the answer there. Yeah. Or like my kids just want to know, like, how many meetings can you have? Like, it seems like a lot. <laughs> like, God, you know, we probably point. just caught on audio the door closing, which was one of my kids checking to see if I was yeah. having fun. So right. I mean, that's, exactly. that's the world we're in. And uh, it sounds like you've got some good good communication strategies in place to make sure they understand and, and that, you know, it creates an opportunity for you to take a break. Laura, this has been great advice. I think just hearing about your career, how you continue to jump from different evolving industries to one that we're all watching so closely being Twitter and, and how it's redefining, how we communicate, how we learn, how we engage in content. This has been fascinating. Thank you so much. If people tuning in have enjoyed hearing Laura's story. You know, check out some of the other guests that we've had here on The Marketer's Journey, really learning from various C-level, VP-level marketing leaders and how they have gone into this stage of their career and how they're charting the path for buyers. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.